I believe that this brought up issues from when you were a child and abused. Sometimes another incident of abuse can cause suppressed personalities to take the light. Dennis, if this is you, I completely understand why you felt the need to take over and protect the others. <laughs> Doctor, not this again. Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. Rodney Evans is a turntablist or DJ, if you don't know what that is, and music producer who is one half of the Broken Aesthetics group uh, that got uh, our former Narratively Speaking guest, uh, Angus McAlpine, in trouble during his election campaign. Uh, so you're just as bad as he was. Yeah, I was complicit yeah. in all that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he also happens to be my cousin and co-host in the 1240 Cerebral Flatulence podcast, which is currently still on break. On hiatus. Hiatus, very long hiatus <laughs> at this point. Well done on uh, uh, articulating it. Yeah, it's just- 100% I, perfect too. It's important to get the connections- clear so that people know how lazy I've been in sourcing you as a guest. In fact, I should mention you also live eight minutes walk from from this studio. So the reason I've asked Rodders on the show today is not to plug his and Angus's latest album, Judgment Day. This isn't a shameless thing. It's not a shameless plug. And uh, I'm not even going to mention that you can go buy that on Bandcamp currently. (laughs) Um, But it's to talk about something that's completely unrelated to all of that. So a while back, both Rodders and I suffered the loss of a good friend to suicide. I've spoken about this on the podcast before. And at the time, we were living in different countries, so we couldn't really get together and help each other through things. And we were left to deal with the grief in our own different ways. Yeah, days removed from yeah, yeah. I mean, out, really, we had all been together yeah less than a week before the suicide. Yeah. So we both sort of did our own thing. I went on a two-year spiral into alcohol abuse and numbing my emotions, denying that there was anything Yay. wrong. Yep, it was pretty good. Congrats. I think I set a couple of records there. <laughs> <laughs> and Rodders in Australia, unbeknownst to me, yeah. eventually sought out uh, an alternative form of therapy, which therapy. is the topic of the podcast today. I should probably mention that uh, I initially sorted out through my GP. Right. Uh, who proceeded to crack the shit about it. Crack the shits. Like got animated and angry with me because I requested a referral, I think is what I'm trying yeah, to Yeah, referral, yeah. that's right. Yeah, I, I sort of, because uh, I kind of knew this therapy I was seeking out wasn't that recognized, you know. So by, you went to the GP to ask for this particular therapy. <laughs> Basically, um, the incentive was to have some of it um, subsidized uh, I through the, you know, through the medical establishment. And if it's, if they acknowledge it obviously is beneficial treatment, then mm. they might give you a referral in that so scenario. So if a doctor gives but, you a referral, then the government pays for some of it. I think so. Yeah. You, okay. know, you can claim some of it or, or they re or yeah, they subsidize it somehow. Um, 
but when I mentioned depression in relation to some other sort of concerns I was having, mm. he literally just cracked the shits. Stop being pull, and said, "Oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like, son." And it was weird because he was—I'd been going to him for a number of years. So I was pretty familiar with him, mm. um, you know. Uh, and yeah, he, he really cracked it, and I—it was really sort of confounding as to what I really didn't understand why. I didn't understand. And he either. complained about, uh, "Oh, I have to," you know. I it, it meant a lot more work for him. That's what. That's that's what I gathered from his so yeah but emotion. it might prevent my suicide so you know why don't you just yeah fucking do it i think i might have even mentioned i didn't mention suicide but i mentioned that you know that's- you know I'm, I'm going through a thing at the moment where i'm trying to be less critical of the medical establishment <laughs> and everything that i come across is yeah. just encouraging me to to look at them all as a bunch of uh needless to say foolish that was, oafs needless to say that was the last time i went to that yeah that doctor i cracked it with him as soon as he yeah, of course. You know, it got started to get, you know, angry and stuff. I'm like, what, what so the hell, you know? What do you do? Just forge the referral? or No, I just ended up paying her cash money. Okay, right. Just putting cash money on her table. You know? Right. Just whack ah, a couple of pineapples on her kitchen bench. That's, it. <laughs> That's how it went down. See, I'm not familiar with that terminology. If that means anything <laughs> other than pineapples. Paying, paying uh, in fifty dollar notes. So. Oh, pineapples. Pineapples. I see. Yeah, I see. Yeah. What What would the What would a hundred dollar note be then? They're They're, they're greenbacks. Greenbacks, even in Australia. I actually, I don't know. I've done, that means US dollar to me. I haven't I haven't dealt in hundreds. I don't actually know. C, maybe they're called C notes. C notes. That's a good one. C note. Yes. Why are we even talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the twelve forty cerebral <laughs> flatulence podcast, Rodders. We need to try and stay on time. We've only got half an hour. Or no, we were talking about me paying, just paying cash for the therapy. So was it? It was pretty expensive, though, wasn't it? One hundred and fifty bucks. She charged so three pineapples. Yeah. See, I can do it. Yeah. So the reason I want to talk about this is because, uh, if you recall, we've had kind of two episodes on tangential topics. One was Joel's episode where we talked about using story and narrative therapy yeah. to try and help people to heal their mind and so on. And the other one that comes to mind is the one with um, Adam Kochi where he, we were talking about sort of using character as a way to work through perhaps issues or get messages right. across that you wouldn't want to say mm-hmm. out loud. Mm-hmm. So tell us how this therapy worked. First of all, give us the the name of the therapy um, that you were seeking out initially, and then what her unique spin on this was. Uh, well, she referred. To, lady's name was Ida, mm-hmm. and she referred to it as clinical hypnotherapy. Okay, and that was on a business. You know, she had business cards, and that was on the business card as well. Okay, and I wasn't really familiar with that. I but it wasn't hypnosis, was it? it no, I, it's not the sort of hypnosis where you're, you know. Getting sleepy in your yeah. She's not you know. swinging a clock nah, and nah, it's and not, saying creepy things in your ear. At no point did I feel like you know I was unconscious or mm. not um, able to have some sort of control. It was yeah. all very suggestive sort of stuff, right? And the first the first half of the therapy session was literally just like you and me talking here. Mm. We just sat down in her kitchen, and so it was in her home, was it? Yeah, she just conducted it from her. Okay. Her house, which that was another, I think, thing that sort of drew me to it was it was that was comfortable for Informal. me. Informal, like, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be. I'd try. I'd tried also 
um, from where I was working at the time, they offered me free counseling, you mm. know, at their, at their, whatever their preferred place was. And I went up to this huge building, you know, 20 floors up and went into this little office and spoke to a counselor. And I just remember just get, getting absolutely nothing out of that. Like mm. just not really feeling like, uh, that person, you know, did they just ask kind much. of leading questions? Like, tell us how you feel about that, yeah. that kind of stuff. How does that make you feel? You know, just, just to get you to talk just, about just, it. Just got me to talk about it. Really. Mm. I just really felt like I'd describe what was, what I felt like was, uh, affecting me or yeah. whatever. And yeah. And once the, the therapy session concluded, it was just, all right, come back in a week. Yeah. Yeah, we've made great progress. And I was like, have I, we though? I, I don't think, I don't think I got anything out of that. <laughs> and I went back for another session the following week and ended up waiting, just sitting in the waiting room and then just getting up and walking out, just going, right. I don't want to do this. You know, this is not the time. You didn't of even go in the second time. Nah, I yeah. just left. I yeah. Just right. went, you know, this isn't working. Yeah. Well, you gave it a good shake. One one session. One. Usually, you know, by the first <laughs> session, yeah. yeah. It's not like it takes years. Of I'm very perceptive about people, so I can right. I can yeah. nail them down like. So yeah, like you, that. you go a lot faster than yeah. the average person. Yeah. Some people yeah. go for years. Usually, less than a second. Yeah, <laughs> under <laughs> right. one second usually. And so you sought out Ida, and you. How yeah. did you know? So you you were seeking out hypnotherapy specifically I, when you went to the doctor. Not nah, not really. It was more my sister. Had had met her okay and said you sh you really should go talk to her right okay yeah right that was through word of mouth then yeah and through that you know i decided to go go see her okay and she lived ages away I had to catch catch two buses out there it took about two hours to get to her joint but yeah i remember thinking that was kind of good too it was sort of time to think time to think and then i remember still coming away from those sessions and and you know there was a lot of stuff you know sort of i felt like i really had to had a lot to think about, you know, had a lot to, yeah, to go back over and. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us how the session went, first session or whatever, but so, you know, the average session. Yeah. So as I said, it sort of just started as a conversation in a kitchen. Mm. She was like, she, she had the sort of, she struck me as like, uh, you know, that kind auntie. So far. Have. I'm imagining it like the scene in the Matrix with the Oracle. And it's almost the like cookies. that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Almost like that. Sort right. of, yeah, sort of non-threatening, informal. Yep. Um, Did she give you cookies? Um, nah. Uh, she may have offered them, though. I know. If you're listening, next time <laughs> is a way to get more people in. And, uh, yeah, basically, you know... I still remember the first time meeting her and she started off by telling me a story about herself hmm. and how she lost a husband. And that's what led her to seek out this type of therapy because. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what normal therapy is, you know, like where the therapist is um, disconnected from you and impartial. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's a, immediately establishing empathy and shared experience. Yeah. 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 And I just remember just feeling pretty comfortable about everything yeah and she had i can't remember exactly what she asked me but the question she asked me you know mate it got me to talk about things yeah right got me to talk about personal stuff it started off very general you know just you know i was just telling her about myself and then yeah just progressed into family and mm. friends and you know what i've been doing recently and then it, you know w within about 20 25 minutes 
I was telling her about Timbo and mm. just totally breaking down, like just emotions uncontrollable. Like I just, you know. I can imagine how difficult it all was out. for you here because on the other side, the other side being in the Philippines where it happened, mm. I was on my alcoholic benders, was hanging with a whole bunch of people who loved him and were mourning also. Yeah. So I had, I won't call it support, because um, to be honest, I think most people were leaning on me to support them. That's somehow. what I was going to say. Yeah, it was weird, but um, but I certainly had shared experience with right. a lot of people, and I could talk about it. No one was talking about anything else. I mean, it was so significant in that town because he'd lived there for a while, and yeah, and he was a large everybody alive knew sort of him. Character, yeah, and- so many connections. Yeah. But but on this side, you didn't really have anyone who knew him. No, I was on my own with it. Yeah. 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 And even I remember telling mum about it and her just not really being able to just relate at all. Now, in case that's audible, it is actually raining right now. So that might be audible. It's good mood, I think, for the, it's good atmosphere. Yeah, it is. Let's keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I shouldn't make light because I might actually get emotional during this. Well, yeah, let's, let's, let's try and stick to the facts. Yeah. Stay tough. the facts. No, it's all right. I mean, it's, it's still something that affects me now as well. Yeah. It doesn't go I legit felt alone with it and tried to, uh, you know, I guess seek therapy th- through talking about it with mum first and feeling, yeah. and just feeling like she, she had no way to connect to it. Mm. She almost, I felt like she almost, uh, didn't felt like she didn't want to say anything that would make me want to rush back to the Philippines. If that makes any sense. Like, yeah, it, that's interesting because yeah, yeah, you'd I been, felt like that's, yeah, because I'd been coming, going back and forth a little bit That's right. Um, before then. Yeah. It was like the third or fourth trip, I think. But you, but you hadn't done your long trip at that point. No, it was before that. Yeah. So yeah. it happened anyway. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's right. Sorry, Helen. Nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing you could have done. It was always going to happen. Yeah. So did, I mean, so she got you talking, but the, um, yeah. the unique part of the therapy, did that happen later? And explain what that was, where she was sort yeah. of talking about personas and. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well. I remember, uh, you know, sort of revealing that, getting pretty emotional and releasing all that. And, mm. um, you know, we talked a little bit more about, you know, fairly, fairly personal things, um, maybe a little bit of, you know, sort of my childhood history and, you mm. know, did I, maybe there was something from that too that I wanted to mm. talk about and, you know, so it, it all just sort of came out at once and then it was following sort of revealing all that sort of stuff mm. that she goes, right. You know, the second half of this is us going into another room and I'll start to talk to you about, um, the different influences that are, that are maybe on this, on this bus. She talked about the, you know, she used the bus metaphor. Like, okay. Explain that, our, that. Our brains are like a bus, um, that contains a bunch of different personas or characters or passengers or yeah. Yeah. Mm. Passengers, you know, they represent different sort of either emotional states or, you know, even attitude, Mm. I guess, towards certain things maybe. Um, but she explained that first. And once I was sort of, Oh yeah, that that's, you know, I can sort of visualize that she goes, I'm going to use that, um, that bus metaphor to 
to talk to different people on the bus. Right. And also to give you ways that you can drive the bus because sometimes you're not driving the bus. You're letting something else. But the metaphor is you're the bus driver and the passengers can yell at you and try and get you to stop the bus or steer the bus or go somewhere else. But at the end of the day, you're in control of driving the bus and all they can do is try and convince you. Yeah to change the path or yeah. the route that you're, you're going. It, it starts and ends with you. You're yeah. the person in control. I think that's. And I suppose you would be your conscious mind, right? Your logical conscious mind where just, we kind of all live in our heads. Yeah. Basically. Just who you are day to day, I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, who you, who you, who you are just, you know, waking up in the morning every day. I but guess. in that metaphor, and, and I think this is where it sort of gets interesting in theory, a passenger can jump up and kick you off the and take the wheel of the if bus. If they're powerful enough, yeah. If they're yeah. influential enough, and you've, you know, and you give license, then yeah, you, you, you. I guess you can. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's a pretty. Um, at the time, I remember thinking that's that's a good. It's a useful way to think about things. Yeah, I didn't know. I don't know how true I thought it was or anything, but. I definitely found it like a useful tool to use to be able mm. to to conceptualize what, your brain what things might, might be going on, you know. And so, what what did you identify as the passengers on on your bus at the time, and uh, how did that relate to the suicide and the other traumas that you've had in your life? I have to say that, like, even you know, after that first session, I remember going away from it not fully being able to remember everything I said, like trying to remember, but certain things things not really standing out and and other things standing out a bit more. So did you, did the state of your mind change though? Did you feel like progress had been made or something had changed or? It more felt like I had the ability to change, not that anything had changed, but I was more capable of changing from, you know, where I was at that point. So she, you know, I think I identified a few different characters. Like there was like a, like a guy that was just a complete loser, mm-hmm. and um, that's your main personality, isn't and, it? And <laughs> sorry, I had to, do, I had to do it. I'm sorry. See, we're gonna be serious. Man. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, that was a, that was probably a fairly influential mm. passenger on the bus at that point. Yeah, there was a guy that was like super confident that, that I described as wearing like a gold jacket and you know blonde hair and tall and all that sort of stuff so you, you so she asked me those sort of things she, she asked encouraged me to paint you, those characters. yeah to visualize them as yeah. actual characters as you would yeah. if you were writing a novel or something like that yeah it's like she was uh, she asked she would ask me what they looked like what mm. the names were you know mm. and but you wouldn't have had names for them when you walked in the door the first time no nah, no nah, this is all just you know, you're just doing it on the on the fly. It's not yeah. something I'd ever thought about before. Yeah. Or, you know, it wasn't a concept I'd, I think I'd even heard before. No. She described it to me. So, so did you when when you heard this when she started asking you those questions? Mm. And since I'm pretty sure at that point we were both sort of a little bit into conspiracy theory, and we'd yeah. looked into MK Ultra. Did you link it to that kind of skeptical. dissociative identity disorder? I was pretty skeptical. Concept? I remember feeling skeptical about it and going yeah. and thinking, ah. Uh, you know what? What is this garbage she's talking about? Basically, yeah. Um, I don't really. I don't think I thought of it as 
like mind control or anything. I don't think I linked it to MK Ultra or anything like that specifically, but I remember just being skeptical, thinking, you know, how much do I trust this person? You felt maybe she was messing with you a little bit? Well, I had no reference point whether it was going to benefit or, you know, or detract from a situation. So it was all sort of, you know, it was just unknown. And I just, and I just decided like, I've just got to buy in a hundred percent to this. If I, if I want to see if it's going to work. Worth giving it a go, isn't it? And at that point I was, you know, I really had no reason not to. It was just, things were just going wrong everywhere. So, mm. you know, so I you thought, what's, felt what, like the- what's another thing going wrong? Who cares? I'm used to, I'm, I'm, that's I, just what's happening at the moment. My, so. my instinctive response to if, if I'd been in your shoes and she'd been doing that because I know about MK Ultra and I associate that with negative things like, you know, mind control experiments and stuff. Yeah. Um, I would be very skeptical and, and, and quite, I'd almost be worried that that therapy would actually fragment my personality mm. even more and cause dissociative identity disorder. Right. Potentially. I, I'd be pretty worried about it. I probably like you probably would have gone with it for a while. But I would have been pretty guarded, I think. At, yeah. Because I think the goal is integration of the aspects of your personality. And she seemed to be doing more separating, although maybe she's just acknowledging the separation yeah. as opposed to. I, I felt like it had, that has a purpose, mm. sep- like using a metaphor and separating like that, because it allows you to sort of compartmentalize certain things mm. and and break it down a bit more rather than deal with things as a whole. And that's... yeah. You know, as you know, I tended I tended look at everything all together mm. and get and feel overwhelmed by it rather than just singling out certain things and and dealing with it like that. So mm. I feel like that's what it helped me to do. Like it helped me to sort of identify what you know more what was what was happening inside my my head. In the sense that you're dealing with one character at a time and and in interacting. Essence, yeah, in essence, there was some negative. Um, a lot of negative influence mm. on the bus. Yeah. So, um, did she? What were the strategies that she developed to try and? Uh, was she trying to get rid of these characters? Was she trying to get them under control? No. That's what the, was the idea. She. Th- it was. It was more uh, acknowledging like the different characters first and describing them so that they had, you know, some sort of way of being distinct from each other. Mm. And then giving ways to have control over those different influences, okay. you know, or, or, or was it control, which, or was it to make their influence on you less? Maybe a bit of both. You know, because I I had this thought the other day. This is may seem a little unrelated, but it was a funny thought. I had this thought that um, when you when you sort of live in your conscious mind, right, you, your awareness, yeah. wherever that is. And you acknowledge that you have this other part of your mind, which is like, you know, the, the lizard brain or, you know, these other aspects of right. your mind. Yeah. And uh, the, the, all these self, self-help gurus and stuff, they say, what you got to do is you got to get control over those parts of the mind. They'll try and influence you. Similar to what you're talking about, but not with names and hairstyles. Yeah, and a little characters. bit more biological, scientific. A little bit more scientific. Yeah. Um, but same concept. And um, I just got this image that, that um, the conscious mind is actually – like a massive bully and basically trying to put like the amygdala in a cage and tell it to shut the fuck up 
And, <laughs> you know, it's almost like you're holding the other parts of your brain hostage once you get too much mastery of the rest of it. It's a kind of a violent act against the parts of your brain that historically kept you alive. That's I, another thing that, that um, what you're saying there sort of made me remember was, yeah, it wasn't about getting rid of these influences. It was mm. about just realizing the effect they had and right. being able to sort of accept that that was there and, and give you, you know, ways to, to cope with having those things there. And did, did you end up giving them names or? No, I just, I just referred to them as like, uh, yeah, the, the golden dude. Right. And, uh, I would have called him Gordon. I literally called my depression black dog. Really? Like That's without, interesting. without even reading that book. I, re I remember reading that book after. What you know, book? What's black dog? Uh, de depression is a black dog. Or oh, okay. I'm not aware black of that. Dog okay. of depression or whatever. It's, it's a pretty, it's only a very short book, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's. Adem talked about um, anthropomorphizing his depression and stuff and anxiety. Mm. Uh, and he does it in his podcast as well. Yeah. Interestingly, I think it is a dog from memory. Yeah. It's a pretty famous like characterization of what depression is yeah. using a, the, you know, a black dog as, as a character. Okay. But yeah, it was just stuff like that, that, you know, the, the, um, the, the critic, you right. know, this, the, the, the one who tells you your shit, the one that just tells you off all the time and right. tells you what every, you know, highlights everything. Ah, you, that's not going to work. Nah, you fucked up again. Didn't you? Going to fail there, aren't yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing new there. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, and and the other thing uh, was that she, Ida, was saying, um, explaining things like these are all people have taught you to think this way. Like mm. you've learned this for, through various stages in, in your life. You've met people or had influence by um, different people that have that have helped these characters develop. Yeah, right. You know, I've given life to these characters in your in your conscious mind or whatever. Mm characters or you know influences whatever you want to however you want to well she wanted to call them characters obviously like that so how she many wanted sessions me to definitely you... characterize what they were yeah and i think that helped sort of i guess you know it gave you more of a visual of what was going on it's almost like you know when they're doing like those memory training exercises and they always say you need to visualize something that represents what you're trying to remember right it's kind of like that's because it's how the brain works right and yeah. On narratively speaking, we always sort of talk about this idea that um, the unit of information of the brain is story. It's you know that some kind of raw knowledge or understanding of connection. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not ones and zeros, and it's not mathematics, and it's not the, it's it's more abstract than that. It's yeah. More, story is what makes sense to our brains a lot more than a, yeah. a you know a, a one or a zero. Yeah. Well, we'll remember it better for yeah. one thing, and, and and we can't just ring it, uh, you know, input a string of ones and zeros and go right. That's yeah. Uh, oh, that's, that's that's all good. Got it. That's a brown table. Now I know yeah. kung fu. All types of kung fu, <laughs> just like but, that. But it, it's also, I think, you know, and it's related to dreams and stuff. I think it's a way to communicate with your subconscious directly because your subconscious doesn't yeah. really have language. I would say that's right. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, that's. A lot of the time, you you have a dream and it doesn't make sense. But the when you when you say it out loud, you can say the details out loud. You can often think of what it might 
mm. representing your life or something like that, even if it's abstract. Mm. It's almost like there's just a de- disconnection in the language between those two parts yeah. of the brain, the subconscious and the conscious. And you need to have those visuals. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I always, I think I've probably mentioned it on the podcast before, but you know, I visualize my wisdom teeth growing back in and they disappeared and stuff like that. And I think the reason that that kind of thing works, even though I've never found anyone who believes me that I actually did that, but I think the reason it works is because you use a visual to tell your subconscious, which actually controls bodily functions Mm. like growth and things like that. Um, And it goes, Oh, I get it. Yeah. There's not room in your mouth for this. Yeah. It's like, if you can communicate that effectively to your subconscious, it'll go, Oh yeah, no worries. Yeah. I mean, of course it's your body. Yeah. Some part hey, of your I brain want you to, controlling I want you to be growth. happy. I want you to be healthy. Yeah. And co- hey, Sorry, I'm, I'm fucking up. I didn't I even realize. I didn't even realize I was doing that. I'm glad I'm, you sent me that picture. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Don't send me text. Send me a picture. <laughs> yeah. Send me a screenshot. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's really interesting. I, I just, in, in hindsight, in retrospect, do you think there is a connection between dissociative identity disorder and the way that works? And what she was trying to do, or do you think they're just completely separate things, and it's a bit of a reach? Uh, I'm not. I'm not totally sold. It's dissociative, but I can't really dispute it either. I can't really. It, there is similarities to it. For couldn't sure. DID just be a more extreme, compartmentalized version of what she was tr- trying Maybe. to bring across? It's possible. Because yeah. I, I always think of that where there's certain times. I think we think we're more integrated than we really are, right? I really do. I, I think about when I'm doing a complicated, say, programming task or something like that, and I think, does the guy who was doing that really have anything to do with the guy that was sitting watching Avengers Endgame at the cinema? Like, do those two really remember what each other were doing, those two different modes of my brain? And I honestly don't think when I'm watching Avengers Endgame, I would be able to do the same programming task. I think I need to become the other guy somehow to be able to do that. And I was actually mentioning at work the other day um, to my employer that there's there's a cost to task switching. So if I need to be focused on one thing and then focused on another thing and then go back to the original thing, that's not going to be the same amount of time that it takes to get those two tasks done right? Yeah. as if I did them, did the first one to a completion and then the second one to completion. Yeah, it could be an elongation of the time it takes to, to complete it if you break That's it up right. like that. Yeah, because of the switching cost. The, yeah. You lose that mode or you lose the, some people call it flow or whatever. That's know? right. Yeah, just you lose your focus and then and you have to switch back and forth. But the switching, you could say it's actually changing personalities right like yeah yeah it's it's almost like uh, you you download all of the information that you need to focus on that task and that downloading is the switching part almost like the the matrix where he's you know he downloads the program so he can fly a helicopter or whatever but it doesn't stay there it's it you know it you don't have enough room for all of the programs at yeah, once. Just get stored or, in the uh, in the immediate memory, and then yeah, discarded yeah. once you need to replace. And then it's the task. it's dumped out to some other part of the brain that you need to retrieve it from to get back there again. And I don't know. I mean, obviously that's not particularly scientific. It's just my experience of the world. But yeah. um, I f- it feels like there's a connection between all of these things. Like even just an actor becoming a character or whatever. And we we've made fun of that in our, you know movies in the past and stuff about, you know, becoming 
actually becoming the character properly yeah. and you know that kind like of literally stuff. becoming the character yeah like, like by having plastic surgery yeah and, and, and changing, changing your name, your name. <laughs> yeah but in, in behind that joke there is a sort of recognition of the of the yeah how extreme you could go with it's that kind process. of a comment to, to, uh, on that yeah, yeah on you know what abilities they need to possess to be a good mm. actor is their ability how to, far do you go yeah to you know it's like become for instance every time i hear uh, a story about an actor that like has real sex or something for a scene or you know that those kinds of stories i don't know if they're myths or they don't not, have, they don't have the little leather the, sheath on they don't have the sheath yeah that's <laughs> right they're not wearing the sock i think i remember tom when tom cruise was describing how he had to he had that on during uh, right. the sex scenes in eyes wide shut and that, that. yeah well they I were so, they yeah. were pretty explicit too i guess yeah it was they? pretty yeah pretty yeah it was his wife though so I st- apparently he still wore one. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that case, I wouldn't mind so much, but it's more like when, when an actor goes too far to become the character, I, I actually find it quite disturbing mm. for some reason. Like those stories really, they get to me a bit. Someone, I shouldn't mention this, someone <laughs> on, on Facebook the other day brought up um, Two Girls, One Cup. Oh right, yeah, right. yeah, and yeah. I hadn't thought about it for years. No, you know, that, no. that viral video well, that I hadn't went around. thought about it for a long time until just then. Well, lucky you, I've brought it back up again. <sighs> and I just so someone said, "Oh well, it was obviously all fake. It was just um, yeah, yeah. Um, chocolate mousse or something like that." And, right. And I thought, you know, I have to watch it again now to see. <laughs> <laughs> Do I believe that? Or mm. not? So I watched it again, and I was like, you know, it doesn't really look like chocolate mousse either to me, or ice cream. So I spent maybe an hour and a half <laughs> trying to research. I, I looked up who the creator of the film was, what the film was actually called, because it's actually a trailer for a real fetish film. Right. And I found the the director of it, and I found interviews with him where people asked him, was it real? He doesn't quite answer, but he does imply that it might have been, you know, that that if it was up to him, it would have been, but some actors don't like to do it for real. Jeez, I can't think why. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with Two Girls, One Cup, we're talking about <laughs> eating poop, basically. Um, yes. And and a lot more than that, in fact. Shit you, breath. And if you're thinking about looking it up, please don't. You don't want to know. No, Trust don't. Me. Don't look it up. Anybody who's ever seen it, if they had the ability to erase it from their if, mind, If they you would. heard the title two, two Girls, One Cup and were immediately, like, intrigued by that, I, I would not yeah, look don't it up. Don't fight it. Ever. Yeah. Just fight it. Just just bury that deep, deep down in your subconscious. Yeah. And anyway, I spent like three hours of my time on Two Girls, One Cup. And I think it may, I think people find it more comfortable to think that it's uh, not real. But it's a cope, think, isn't that a coping me- mechanism to probably. dismiss it as not real? And, yeah. and then you, then it's, then it's, then you can, you can have a bit more fun it. watching it. Yeah. You go, <laughs> look at the, how much shit they're eating. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking shit eaters. <sighs> <laughs> Why did we? Anyway, it doesn't yeah. matter. Doesn't matter. What mode do you have to be I, in to eat shit, Harvey? I don't know, but I'm getting back there now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty close. So yeah, I, I just yeah, I Man. just found it really interesting that sort of all these things seem to have similar kind of bases, like in character and story, and it seems that the goal of life, in some ways in the material world at least, is to sort of master all of the random um, automated or automated aspects of your brain mm. 
by kind of tricking it and manipulating it into doing what you want. Yeah, it seems some of it does sort of seem like a trick yeah. at the outset, but I mean, I found just saying things out loud to myself, um, all, all those type of things, mm. when you fully buy into doing that, it it had um, plenty of benefit for me. I think it it helped me to sort of overcome some things, accept some things and move on, you know? Mm. So do you find that now the voices on the bus are quieter or do you feel it didn't really change anything? You know, I still hear that critic a lot. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> How about right now? Yeah, yeah. See? Yeah, there yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. I can hear him too, which is weird. It's pretty loud. Usually, yeah. A very loud Usually voice. Usually can't, yeah. yeah. What's he saying right now? Uh, bad mic technique. Um, <laughs> right. Ooh, that shoulder's really going to hurt later. You right. Know, that sort of thing. Why is your shoulder going to hurt? No, I don't know, because it was hurting before I got here. It's unrelated, but still, yeah. He might no, be right. You should just, take care of that. No, it's like I remember from the therapy as well, actually, that that Ida suggesting that that critic was mum. Mm. That's mum. Right. And Because your mum was critical of you when you were younger or? Well, or you, yeah. Or you think that she's critical even if she hasn't voiced it? or when I, If I recall think you know, recall moments from my Stand, some standout moments in my childhood. I, some of it's very negative towards mum. Mm. And if you're listening to this mum, uh, please don't feel upset. We, yeah, we it's all good about, now. We talked about this. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's uh, resolved. Um, but yeah, so, some of the memories are a little bit traumatic, I guess. And um, I guess through mum's protective nature, she mm. she might have, and being that she was a single mum as well, she might have felt like she needed to be a bit overbearing with things to try and, and plus, steer me um, away from being, you know, getting into bad stuff. You know, I, I actually said this to dad when we were doing film school for dad. There's a there's a kind of a kick him out of the nest sort of concept in parenting. And this is kind of what he, he said. That sounds like it might be more of a personal thing instead of a response to the movie that we're talking about. <laughs> and I said, no, it's not really. There's it's it's. um. It's unkind, but there's a cause behind it. You know, you, if you don't kick the bird out of the nest, it doesn't get strong enough to survive on its own. Yeah, in a way, it's a lesson. So, sort of a lesson you have to learn, maybe. I would imagine, as a parent, that's a pretty terrifying Tough one. balance. Tough one. Yeah. yeah, because you, when do you? When, how do you decide when that time's right to go? Right, you're off. I, yeah, I'm, you don't need me anymore. Off you go. It's like, well, my baby's never been set on fire, so. Maybe seems should unlikely I, that should I set it on fire or <laughs> <laughs> that'll prepare it later for being burnt. <laughs> That's weird. I wouldn't set a baby on fire. I'd drown it. You know, I think everyone has their own way of, of coping with things. Hmm. I've, I, I don't particularly go out of my way to tell people what sort of therapy I've had and that, you know, that helped me through some things or whatever. Hmm. Um, but I think sometimes you just, some, it, when I felt my, at my most sort of, uh, I guess when I was felt lost the most, mm. that's when I sought this kind of therapy out. And like I said, I was pretty skeptical at the start and wasn't sure what sort of effect it would have, mm. but I ended up going, having five sessions. And by the end of that, 
I can only say that I felt, I felt like a stronger person. I felt like I had ways to, um, to, to, to switch my thinking a little bit easier yeah. rather than feeling locked into. And I still, I, I still feel like I'm that sort of person. Like it takes me a while to change. Mm. <laughs> you know, if I, if I get into a shitty mood, it's that chemical process to come back to, to just, you know, being, being cool with things. It's mm. about two hours at least. Yeah. It usually takes me at least two hours to, to break out of that. So you know. do you think the goal is mastery of, of emotion and subconscious processes or somehow just coming to terms with them? Because I, I do worry that if you live too much in your conscious logical brain, mm. you're kind of just going to be a robot, aren't you? I mean, you don't want to live life with no emotion and just analytic, like, no. like Sam Harris or something, you know? Like, no, no, no. He no. seems to go, no. he's, he's like data from Star Trek. That's right. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a hollow shell of a person, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to make assumptions, <clears throat> That's, but there's certainly no soul. From what I've heard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, actually, I, I um, listened to Sam Harris doing, um, uh, interviewing his wife who wrote a book All right. about consciousness, yeah, strangely yeah. enough, yeah. and he was surprisingly warm in that. So I think it's yeah. just when he's approaching no. difficult topics, he's like that. But. I, I, I've never felt like I wanted to get away from emotions more that I want to understand where they come from and, and what it, what sort of, you know, I feel like emo our emotions are kind of a language. Mm. They're, they're, it, it's, you know, it's, well, it's a form of communication. It's yeah, your body it, telling you. Definitely is. And yeah. And maybe some forms of therapy help you get in touch with that more or something. Right. I don't know. I'm, I'm far from any sort of, you know, psych psychological, expert well clearly oh yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> thanks a lot me too but no i i think i think well both of us we, we've looked at human behavior mm. a lot you know I, especially i time that up with all the conspiracy stuff as well because i kind yeah. of look at it as one influencing the other sort of thing so mm. you know uh i think understanding where behavior sort of comes from helps you to cope with, have, with just you know having those different because a lot of people get triggered by things and 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 react and maybe don't even know why you know and well, I've I've taken that into account with other people now too now you know I think I, you know I used to be a lot more reactive mm. you know, if someone was angry with me I automatically get defensive without even trying to think about why that person where I that's think, coming from I think from. that's the key to it it's it's staying in the conscious mind still feeling the emotion and recognizing it, but not reacting to it in a way that's negative to you, choosing to react in a way that's positive. Choice. I think it's always a choice, right? It is. You choose. Yeah, but you've got to you've got to stay in that conscious mode because I think once the the emotional, you know, the chemicals of emotion start flooding around your body, it's harder. It's very easy to leave your conscious mind mm. and just go nuts and yell or cry yeah, or just get it out. Yeah, just Yeah. And and maybe that there's some therapy in that too like they say you need to have a good cry every now and again right uh kind of a release valve i guess a release valve yeah but um i prefer to just sort of stay in that conscious mind feel whatever it is feel annoyed or betrayed or sad or whatever yeah but choose how to react to it consciously yeah and 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 consciously 
that's sort of a conscious reminder to that you have a choice. Yeah. That you can choose and not to just go with whatever the default is. Because if mm. your default becomes, you know, uh, that every time someone confronts you about something, you get angry, mm. then you're going to have a lot of negative experiences in your life if you don't choose differently, right? Mm. Yeah, so, exactly. But I, I think just just having that sort of philosophy that it's a cho- that it is a choice is kind of taking responsibility for yourself mm. and 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 uh you know and that's um i think that's just that's kind of growing up isn't it like to an extent and i think also recognizing the ripple effect you have on the world yeah which is a not just thinking selfishly about it how i want to react thinking mm. about what and and if you do of, react like that, in what form does it come back to you in the world? Yes, yeah. you won't know probably that it was a direct result. It won't be a direct result, but just that everybody's triggering ripple effects in every action that they take. Yeah, uh, makes you just want to do things that are more positive in general. And if you if you think, you know, about certain things that have transpired in our, you know, since we've been alive, there's mm. there's a lot you could be angry about, right? Mm. Like the globalists. So, yeah. Those fucking globalists. globalists. I tell you what, bloody <sighs> shove a Coke bottle up their ass. New World Order this. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, you know, some things are obviously negative. Mm. And the more negative, like you said, if you recognize that there's a ripple effect and that affects other people and there's no way you can sort of know who that affects, then you you kind of try to limit putting as much of that out there, you know, especially when you, you might go back and think about some ways you behaved yourself and thinking, and, and, and you think, well, you know, that was really, I really put some bad stuff out there, you know, that time. Mm. you might consciously decide then that you have to do some things to, to offset those things, you know? Well, that's, that's it. And, and the important thing to recognize is what other people do to you is outside of your control. Exactly. But yeah. what you do to other people is your responsibility. That's, and that's the only thing you can control. You can be absolutely 100% accountable for that. Yeah. Right? Um, your own behavior. Mm. But I, I consider some people's behavior now and think to myself, how responsible is that person even mm. for that behavior? You know? Well, I think about that too, you know, whether or not we actually have as much control. Yeah. Like I said earlier on, I don't think we're anywhere near as integrated as we think we are. I think we have different aspects to our personality. But I also think there's a certain inevitability to our behavior. Mm. You know, there's we may choose the path that we take, but the destination is always pretty much predetermined in some way or another. Um, so... Yeah, might as well make it a positive path. One way or another, you're going to jail. Thanks for coming. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if I end up in jail now, <laughs> people will be like, how did I you mean, know? I mean, in general, that's everybody. You would never testify against me, would you? No. 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 Well, I'm glad, glad we got that sorted out. <laughs> All right. All right. Yep. No, thanks for... Uh, sharing your yeah, story no worries. and uh, thanks uh, for having me on and uh let's try and invent another uh reason to have you on because it's fucking sure. convenient <laughs> <laughs> eight minutes down the road <laughs> on your rudders yeah Cheers. thanks half. Huh?